All right. Hi, everyone. This is Andrew Ojay of the Middle Seeds Podcast. I'm joined by one of my two co-hosts, uh, Mr. Jake Hensler. Jake, how are you today? I'll save the insults right now because it's just you and I. It'd be a little awkward. I don't want to play off of. Yeah, the, I was going to say normally it's like a roast where you and Nate can team up on me, but now it's just like personal, so it's not yeah. necessary. <laughs> this is more NPR than Barstool, I guess, today because uh, we're going to be talking about – we're going to try to like build up hype here with the Star Wars movies – uh, because of course, as you guys know, Rise of Skywalker is coming out in December, December 20th, right? I think I, a month I, of the yeah. day we're recording, right? Yeah, I think it's Well, there wrong. we go. So it's like 30 days of Star Wars and Ewoks and Jar Jar Binks. Um, Why choose those two? <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of give you guys 25 to 30 minute reflections on each of the movies in the series. It might be just like two of us. It's always going to be me, but sometimes it might be me and Jake. Sometimes it might be me and Nate. And sometimes you get lucky and you'll get all three of us. Um, we're going to go in chronological order. So not release order, because as you know, George Lucas decided that he was going to make this a bigger thing than it was after it became such a huge phenomenon. So after the fact, when they asked old George, what a new hope was. He's like, oh, we, we started with four. Um, yeah, we started with four. What do you think about George Lucas? I actually don't know what he sounds like, so you could be spot on. I just know what he looks like. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard that man speak. He sounds like a mix between Kermit the Frog and like the guy who serves you ice cream at Rita's Water Ice. You, don't, you probably don't know what Rita's Water Ice is. What's the Long Island equivalent of like an ice cream shop? I actually do know what Rita's is, but Ralph's. Ralph's would be long. Ralph's. Okay, there you go. Well, that's what George Lucas sounds like. And I know that because in a lot of research I used I did a while ago when talking about the movie we're talking about today, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, which came out in 1999. Um, it was the beginning of the second of three trilogy of Star Wars movies um, and was one of the most hype movies of all time. So there's a bunch of documentaries behind the scenes about the making of the movie. And he just talks through the whole thing. And you get a lot of insight to what worked about this movie and what didn't. Um, it becomes very obvious. And I think we all have learned what didn't. Yes. Because, I mean, there's no better way to put this, I think. This is probably one of the most disappointing movies of all time. I think you and I were kind of spared because not to give away our age, we were what? Like four when this came out? Not yeah. even. Yeah, at best. At best. So I remember just reading the books about this movie and being mesmerized by whatever the hell Darth Maul is supposed to look like um, and just all the different Jedi stuff. I was just learning what Star Wars is. I was not as attached as some of these people who were 30, 35, some of them even 40 and grew up with Star Wars and loved Star Wars and had to sit down and watch this as their first Star Wars movie in almost 20 years. Well, the, and the funny thing about that is the theater, the people coming out of the theater, their reactions were stellar. Like people were amped about this movie when they first came out, but I think there's there's a reason why they end it with a space war on droids and a one of the only good things about it a good end lightsaber fight with a really cool villain. So everybody walked out of there like, "What? Star Wars is back!" And then they realized there's a lot, a lot of alien politics that nobody cares about. <laughs> yeah, I think people were really itching for the franchise to come back. And you make a really good point there too because it took some people years to convince themselves that this movie isn't the best movie in the franchise, let alone <laughs> like mediocre to not very good. Exactly. Like they probably had <laughs> those, to sit down. memories, dig them up. <laughs> yeah. Took a Rorschach test and there's Jar Jar Binks and a Watto cut out. <laughs> yeah. I just what think like – You see here pod racing. 
Oh, exactly. God. Like <laughs> it's these repressed memories because when we, we love movies so much, we want them to be amazing. We want every movie to be amazing, even if that's not always the case. And sometimes we try to convince ourselves that what we saw was really good. I think the first time that ever happened to me was Spider-Man 3 when I saw that in 2007 because I was about 11 or 12 and that was one I really wanted to work. And I'm sure you were the same way. You were probably a big Spider-Man guy growing up, right? It came out – my birthday is at the end of April and that came out at the beginning of May. I had a birthday party at the movies for that movie. So yeah. <laughs> mm. Way to let down all your friends. So, yeah. yeah, I didn't have a birthday party after that. No, yeah, <laughs> banned from the theater. Um, but yeah, so The Phantom Menace, of course, just a little bit of table setting. And by the way, if you haven't seen these movies, we're going to be spoiling them. We're going to talk about them openly because – Yeah, this movie it, came out 20 years ago. Like. This movie is over 20 years old at this point. So if you haven't seen The Phantom Menace, good for you first of all. And second <laughs> of all, what are you doing here? Like I, I mean we appreciate you joining us, so I'm not trying to push you away. Um, but basically this is the beginning – it's the first part in the nine-part Skywalker saga, which, of course, goes through the legacy of the Skywalker family as it relates to the overall Star Wars story. And we meet Anakin Skywalker, who, of course, will later become Darth Vader. We meet him as a kid. He's played by Jake Lloyd. He's a slave on Tatooine, and he gets mixed up in this huge intergalactic conflict uh, where we meet a bunch of different races. We go to a bunch of different planets. We see some old familiar faces. We see some new faces. There was a lot to probably be excited about when this movie came out. I mean, if you think about the hype level of how movie anticipation has changed, like, Jake, you and I remember just going back to last year when we eagerly anticipated the Avengers Endgame trailer. We woke up at 8 a.m. and all we had to do was turn on our laptop and it was right there, you know? Yeah. It's completely changed. Well, I also, I also, <laughs> as far as Endgame goes, I would go... Every time they dropped the trailer, I was working at a restaurant at the time. I would go to the bathroom and watch the trailer, and then I did that same thing to buy the tickets. As soon as they dropped, I went to the bathroom and bought my tickets, and I was like, I don't care who needs me for what. Working at a restaurant for 12 plus an hour is not as important as seeing this movie opening night. That, but, your bosses <laughs> probably thought you had IBS, to be honest. <laughs> I would every, every time an Avengers trailer drops, Jake's in the bathroom. That's, that's oddly coincidental. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, what an odd, oddly specific bladder, yeah. I think, would be my thought. <laughs> yeah, um, it's like that Mean Girls thing. I can tell when it rains. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> uh, but in 1999, or 98, more specifically, when the marketing machine started to rev up, things were way different. Like, QuickTime was how you had to download trailers and stuff like that. It took like 10 minutes just to get a trailer ready on your desktop once the dial-up started working. I can't even and imagine. Some people who didn't even have the internet had to go to the movie theaters just to see the trailer and then leave. This is, There's a movie that I don't know much about uh, besides its connection to Phantom Menace called Meet Joe Black. You ever heard of this movie, Jake? I heard of it. Never seen it. Yeah, and the reason you've heard of it probably is because it's a 1998 drama uh, that stars Brad Pitt. And like I said, don't know anything about it besides that. It featured the first teaser for Phantom Menace in front of it. Out of all the movies possible, this okay. is the one that had it. And it had like a huge – It had, exactly. Maybe the Brad Pitt factor. Maybe it was the same studio. Uh, I'm just doing a little bit of searching right now because I want to see box office-wise what it did opening weekend. But basically what everybody did was they went and bought a ticket to meet Joe Black. 
They would go into the theater, they would watch the trailer for Phantom Menace, and then they would leave. Well, back then, tickets also weren't 14 to $16. So I'm guessing it's not the end of the world. But still, that's so that's such a crazy notion. Go to them just to watch the trailer. Like, at least stick around for the movie. Maybe it's okay. This movie, well, first of all, this movie was three hours long. So. Oh, well, then that's I, different. It was not the same. It wasn't, it wasn't the same company either. It was Universal Pictures as opposed to 20th Century Fox. Was there bribery going on? How did that happen? I have no idea. So it made $15 million on its opening weekend. I'd wager at least $5 million of that was from Star Wars fans. Like, <laughs> Who begrudgingly watched Joe Black. <laughs> right. I love you, Brad Pitt. But like, I don't think a lot of people were going to see Meet Joe Black. Because overall, domestically, it made $44.6 million. So, you know, it, it is what it is. But anyway, my point is that hype levels and anticipation and how you waited for a movie was way different back in the day. And people were camping out for this thing too. Um, yeah, I don't know that people so much do that anymore, like literally camping, but the because everybody buys online and gets reserved seating and now and stuff like that, which uh, you know makes sense. But I mean, was this was was Phantom Menace the highest grossing like when it came out and finished its run? Was it the highest grossing movie ever in 1999? I don't think ever. It certainly was the highest opening. Um, but I want to say, and since I have Box Office Mojo in front of me, the horribly redesigned Box Office Mojo, by the way, since I have this on mic, and I feel like it's obligatory to say. Yeah, no, everything uh, is first. That's fine. Exactly. Uh, so it made a hundred and – okay. It was a $115 million budget. The opening was only $64 million, but I think it opened midweek, so that's a little misleading. It made $474 million. I, say, which, I know it cracked four. Yeah, right, which I believe was probably good enough – for number two, I believe Titanic had already oh, done yeah, its yeah, damage yeah, yeah, by yeah. then. That's right. Titanic was 97. So, yeah, that makes sense. But, yeah, it, it definitely must have been top five all time at the time it came out. Right. And a lot of that is from the anticipation because no matter what you think about this movie, and I promise we'll dive into the actual quality of the movie in just a minute, but I think there's a lot of we interesting throw, we stuff. We quality loosely. Yeah, yes, right. Quotation marks. You can't see that on an audio podcast, but quotation marks from both of us. Um, I think – uh, the hype is a big story about this. And I think depending on what you think of the movie in that time period, you probably saw it three or four times because it was just new Star Wars up on the big screen. Yeah, and it was the first time in 15 years, roughly, give or take a couple a couple of years. So, I mean, all those original Star Wars fans, you get a new story, new character, new graphics, the end of the dec- the end of that decade century, right? Yeah, right, like what a way to end the 20th century, right? Yeah, for most people, they thought it was an excellent way to end the century. And now looking back, we all kind of go, eh, eh, I don't know, eh. There are other <laughs> 1999 movies that you could be watching, you know. Actually, tangent, 1999 is considered an excellent year for movies, and Phantom Menace just doesn't get brought up for it anymore. Right, Which makes sense, and, and it's, it's the top funny. grossing movie out of all of them, right. you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, The Matrix came out like two months before, and it just completely has taken the the glamour that Phantom Menace should have had if it was uh, – all right, I'm not even going to like go around it. This movie isn't very good. Like it really isn't. No, I'm not even – I'm probably the least down on it out of me, you, and Nate, and I'm still kind of like, ugh, whatever. Yeah. I don't think it's a disaster, but no, there are some either. disastrous things about it. Um, and I think the biggest problem for me rewatching it recently is – 
and this is not a controversial thing to say about The Phantom Menace at all, is that George Lucas simply just forgot the appeal of what Star Wars is. And I mean, these are ostensibly movies for children. They have simple plots. They have, but they, you know, they have relatively complex emotions too. Uh, And all of the energy of the original trilogy has been kind of sapped away here in service of some kind of really wrote, really boring, you know, like political plot. And it really does, it doesn't make sense why we linger on that. Yeah, there's a lot of like wandering and meandering and just like almost like figuring out what to do next. And like, I know there's the the main joke, the Metachlorians. Everybody makes fun of the Metachlorians because God, nobody cares. <laughs> what, whatever. And I, I actually rewatched parts of it recently. I have my, my friend over who had never seen it. And not that this matters. We were waiting to see if my other friend was coming over or not. So to kill time, I was like, oh, that's right. You've never seen Star Wars. And I was going through Disney Plus And I showed him like a couple of the cool things from Phantom Menace because it was episode one. (laughs) All right. Where's the rest of it? (laughs) Right. And I showed him a couple of cool things. And um, whatchamacallit. We were watching Jar Jar. And I was like, I get that he's supposed to be like, he's supposed to be the the comedic relief, the family friendly character, the one that kids kind of grab onto. But he's so annoying. Like, shut up. Why is he? Why is he on the front lines of battle? Why? There's... There's a point where he's on a tank and a war general is like, Jar Jar, take this, destroy the tank. I'm like, why are you handing him anything? Well, it, it's just like, it's hilarious because half of the movie, he is, you know, he's banished from being a part of the Gungans. Like, he's not welcome among them. And then immediately when they form this alliance, he's like promoted to general. And it's like, wow, you were looking for an excuse to make him some kind of like law figure. And he's done nothing to earn this at this point. He just happened to bring Amidala to the Gungans. It, he, George Lucas had in that documentary I was talking about, George Lucas has a very famous line where he is looking at the storyboards for the movies and he goes, Jar Jar is the key to all this. And I want to know like what kind of lock he was trying to put that key into because it does not fit with, you got this really boring political plot. And then you have this like, just these poop jokes and these fart jokes and this just a ridiculously obnoxious character, like very much in contrast from each other. And it's like this movie doesn't know if it wants to be sophisticated and attempt to go that route, which if you're going to do that, OK, I don't know if that's my favorite mode of Star Wars, but at least commit to it. This movie is so all over the place. Like like he really he really is only he really only should be a comedic relief and like family fun character, but you got to dial it down or change his direction somehow because he's just screeching and bumping into things and, and he's, he's too incompetent for his own good. And then they give him too much responsibility paired with that incompetence. Like if we're going to dissect the Jar Jar character, he, he's now famous because he's annoying and that's it. It's all he's known for. He's known because he's annoying and he ends up on the Senate in like revenge of the Sith. What are you? Are you yeah. What are you insane? That was quite the move because we'll talk about Attack of the Clones on another podcast, but George Lucas fully leans into Jar Jar's obnoxiousness by basically making him the reason that the Emperor is able to take over with all powers and no kind of checks and balances. Like, (laughs) (laughs) it's such a mess. And like, who thought that was a good idea? Other than George Lucas. Like, nobody sit George Lucas down and was like, George, listen, listen. 
Well, that's the problem, and I think that is the key to why this doesn't work because Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, which obviously are much superior films to this, they were not directed by George Lucas. Like he, of course, wrote the film, but he – you have another person playing off of him. You know what I mean? This is full – Full on George Lucas. And at this point, who's going to tell George Lucas no? Like the intern bringing him Starbucks? No. Like. You got to cue Kanye. <laughs> no one man should have all that power. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it's just like it doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel like the other movies. And I mean it feels – at least it's a little bit more practical than the ones that follow. At least there are actual sets in this. But man, just like the the faux complex plot that I was referring to – it just makes everybody look like an idiot because it's not smart enough. Like the Jedi look like idiots in this whole trilogy and and like everybody that isn't the Emperor looks stupid. So it's like you, like George, this is not serious. Like this doesn't work. <laughs> and I, I always liked Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon as characters. But when he's yelling at Anakin, 10-year-old Anakin, stay in that cockpit, why? They're, that, this was just a, a battleground with casualties and like <laughs> laser guns. Why would he stay there? Get him out of there. Bring – get anybody to get this little boy out of there. And then he ends up flying the cockpit, fly, flying the spaceship, fig- figuring it out, which, OK, he's supposed to be the chosen one. He's supposed to, He ends up the best pilot in the galaxy. I get it. But at 10, he blows up the entire base. like On accident. On accident, yeah. Come, come on. He, they can't they can't penetrate inside this spaceship and he just like accidentally hits a blaster and he's like, oh, OK, um, cool. Now this is pod racing. No, exactly. No, you, you're, you're completely winging it. You have no idea what you're doing. It's the equivalent yeah. of of a, a drunk guy wandering in somewhere he's not supposed to be. Like, What if they were just like, oh, my God, we were just going to try to disable the shields and make them surrender. You blew them all up. <laughs> Jesus. Well, he did end up in the dark side. Yeah, this will without a doubt, Anakin, be the worst thing you do in your life <laughs> right now. Yeah, but like why is he – like Qui-Gon is stupid. I, I want to hear your – I want to hear your, your anti-Qui-Gon because I always liked Qui-Gon, but I haven't seen this movie in a few years. He's just like – he just makes – he handles every situation horribly. Like there's one scene and this is a pretty minor scene in the whole grand scheme of things. But when they get to Tatooine – and there's this big sandstorm and him and Padme, a.k.a. the Handmaiden. I mean, she's kind of a double agent, but it's never not obvious that she's really the queen. Yeah, I'm still confused by all that. Yeah, it, <laughs> I don't understand. Like, she's in more danger out in the field. And he, like, this Kwai Kan Jin, who's supposed to be able to read minds, can't tell that this is the queen until she, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. she reveals herself. Like, oh, like yeah, ugh. Yeah. Oops. But they get, yeah, they get pulled in to... Anakin's house and they have dinner with his mother and Anakin's pretty smart. He's like, oh, look at that laser sword of yours. Um, You're a Jedi, aren't you? And Qui-Gon unprompted goes, what if I killed a Jedi to get it? And it's like, dude, you're having mashed potatoes at their table. Like what? Like, is that a joke? I do. I do remember that. Right. Why would you? But for me, George, why would you leave that in there? Like do do another do another take of that scene and see if it works better. Like, yeah, come on. <laughs> there, there's there's a there's just a ton of awkwardness like that sputtered throughout the entire film that I was noticing a lot watching this time around. Like there's one point where Darth Sidious, a.k.a. the emperor and Darth Maul are walking along 
And Darth Sidious just goes, you've been trained well, my Jedi. And I was like, dude, you trained him. That's like a flex. You're- right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, are you supposed to be building him confidence? Because he's got a double sword. I think he's pretty confident. Yeah. Who are you know. talking to? Like, <laughs> yeah. like if I was Darth, I'd be like, if Darth had more than three lines of dialogue, he'd be, I'd be like, yeah, master, you, you did that. Like, what do you want me to say? Thanks. Like, right. Word. <laughs> I already said I was sorry. Like, but yeah, Qui-Gon, it, like the way he handles all the Anakin stuff when he goes to the council, he's like, I, he, he's the chosen one. And Yoda, who has like 3000 years more experience, is like, uh, dude, no, probably not. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to train him anyway, guys. I don't, care, I don't care what you have to say. It's like, what if you went to your boss? Like, what if you went to your boss and was like, eh, eh. You know? But in, in his defense, they, they do kind of go, OK, fine, you can train him. And then Obi, and then wait, Obi-Wan's left with it. He didn't sign up for this. <laughs> Obi-Wan is the one that goes up to him and is like, dude, I don't know if this is a good idea going against the council. And he's like, uh, he's like, oh, you're fine. You're promoted, first of all. Second of all, <laughs> just don't question me. Right. It's what, it, Obi-Wan basically got the thing where like his boss was fired, so now he's got double the work. Right. And he feels real <laughs> guilty about it. Yeah. yeah like, it's not his, he didn't sign up for this. It wasn't even his idea. <laughs> yeah. Like nothing flows well in this entire movie at all. Like n- <laughs> the the ending sequence, the way that they cut through between the three or four different set pieces that are going on is pretty cool. And I mean, the mall, Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon showdown holds up incredibly well. Yeah, I've always liked that. Because of how it's staged and all the different places and John Williams' amazing Duel of the Fates score. Oh, yeah. And I just think that sequence, I know that's a personal favorite of yours. Yeah, I've always been, I've, I think what I'm realizing is I do generally like Revenge of the Sith, but Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, I like aspects. Generally, I probably like some of the action. And then outside of that, episodes one and two are just kind of... Like, and I also noticed... I'm rewatching a few scenes here and there. There's a lot of cool ideas in Star Wars that I think people cling on to, like pod racing. I actually think the scene is okay. Still a cool idea. Um, these giant droid tanks. There's a there's an idea that that might have cued um inspired Halo. The the alien wraith tank in Halo looks a lot like the Phantom Menace droid tanks. Um, like there's a lot of cool ideas. Those effects look like trash now, by the way. Like, there are some things that look really good still, and a lot of the times it's when, like I said, the actual sets are interacting with the CGI, but the stuff that's just purely CGI, like the droids and the Gungans, all look awful. I, I noticed the backgrounds. There, there's a scene where, like, they're, they're, they grab the, whoever they are. Um, are you talking about where they go up the, they go up the side of the building? Yeah. Yeah, for one, they're just dangling. It doesn't look real at all. And then they cut to where you can see their faces, and the background is basically just plain green with, like, a Bob Ross blue river painted in it. Like, it it could not be more fake. And I was like, wow, that's 1999. And a lot of it is just very much... it. It's so much of an overload that everything else in the movie is like baseline stoic. Like we know that you and McGregor, Natalie Portman, Liam Neeson, Samuel L. Jackson, one of the most expressive people in Hollywood. (laughs) Like we know they're good actors and we know that they can be bombastic when they need to be, but they are just at like base level. Like they're sitting in pews in church talking to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Like, honestly, I just don't understand. Well, I mean, I, I do understand because George was so obsessed with the technology and he doesn't know how to direct actors. Right. 
Right. That must be the other thing. So pair him with Hayden Christensen in, in the next two and what happened. But <laughs> we know what happened. Yeah. Let's circle back to Metachlorians because that's the big I never thought controversial – we're not talking about it in a good way i mean the big thing let's circle back around to metachlorians (laughs) and this is something that the new trilogy is completely course corrected on it's like the metachlorian thing first of all it's the whole idea that you have a certain amount of things in your bloodstream that makes you more qualified to be a jedi they say anakin has 80 which is like doesn't sound like a lot to me like they couldn't have picked a bigger number than 80 right is that not the same as like a white blood cell count. I don't know what that. I don't compared to what. What does Obi Wan have? Like I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like like we. <laughs> How? What am I supposed to gauge this to? Like is eighty a big number in like murders? Yeah, but in like <laughs> in like steps taken, no. Like I don't know how to gauge that. <laughs> uh, it's like one of those uh, sixth grade fraction pro- problems when you have like x over a hundred equals murders over steps. Like <laughs> like what's x in here? Right, 80 could be huge or nothing at all. I have no idea. (laughs) It's just such an arbitrary explanation and so unnecessary to explain why Jedis are Jedis. And it's this overcomplication that just seeps throughout the entire movie. Other than just spouting jokes at it, like, they don't even give us a point of reference. Like, what does Yoda have? What is, does the average person in the Star Wars universe have any? Does everybody have one? Is there a base count? Like... Why bother? <laughs> Why bother with Metaglorians? If you're not at least going to give us something to like grab onto with. Yeah, there's there's just no like kind of palpable tension anywhere in the movie because, I mean, it's a prequel, so th- that's to be expected a little bit. But like odds are if I haven't heard of a character, you're not making it out or you're not that important. Like, okay, I know Anakin and Obi-Wan are going to be okay, but the rest of the movie is just sitting there waiting for it to be over. I think you could have done this prequel trilogy and just not had this movie. Like, I think you could have started with Attack of the Clones, maybe done a Clone Wars movie, and then use Revenge of the Sith as your kind of birthing off point. Like, what does this movie add other than actually meeting Anakin as a child, which I think we all wish we could erase because Jake Lloyd kind of sucks at this. Right. uh, I'm looking for a counter-argument, but it's really like... Yeah, it's meeting Anakin... It's discovering a little bit about Obi-Wan's beginnings. And yeah, but like the o- – I feel like the <laughs> Obi-Wan we meet in Attack of the Clones is way different than this one anyway. I mean whatever. I It just – it's – I guess it's kind of to – I guess the only real thing it it adds is you you do get a little bit of Obi-Wan losing his master and taking on Anakin um, and then Anakin becoming who he is from a little kid. But you – you could establish that in other ways in a different movie. Yeah, and that was the other thing that kind of annoys me is the like obsession with connecting everything to everything. Like, why did R two D two need to get a promotion to be an important droid? Like, why? Like, why couldn't he just be a droid? Why did C three PO have to be created by Anakin? Which, by the way, where is he getting these parts from? Like, he's a slave. Like. I didn't know money came that quickly to slaves where he could buy these parts. I mean, he can maybe scavenge them, but like, are people just leaving these good parts around? I don't know. It's just like little things like that, that like boil up. And I think that's what makes Phantom Menace such a failure overall. Yeah. And there's just not enough high moments either. Like the only high moments I can really think of are the, are action scenes. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah, exactly. 
So let's wrap this up a little bit. What's your final thoughts on this one? You can give a rating if you like. I think that would be good. Uh, give you your seat scale rating if you had to like think about it. Well, I mean, final final thoughts. Uh, yeah, it's. I don't hate it. I don't think it's a disaster, but it definitely doesn't hold up well. Um, and it's not a great. I mean, the first time I saw it, I I thought it was really cool because alien politics just didn't make any sense to me. And then I got really cool action scenes every now and then. So I was like. You also were barely toilet trained then, so I won't hold that against you. True. At like seven or eight when I first saw it, I was barely toilet trained. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's, it's, I would even say it's below, I was going to say mediocre. It's a, probably a little bit below mediocre because there is a lot of dull. It's probably, well, I like don't want to be mean. It's probably high end damp lawn chair. Just because there is, there are good as there are good aspects to it. It's not a disaster, but generally, I think there's a lot more cool ideas than there is good execution. Um, but not a total disaster. Probably high end damp lawn chair. Would only recommend if you like Star Wars or if you're interested in Star Wars because then you have to see it. Yeah, I would agree with that rating as well. Um, it's just dull is a great word for it across the board and confused and kind of misguided. Um, it just doesn't know really what it wants to be. It just likes the idea that it's Star Wars and it's like, well, Star Wars is back. Here you go. But at the same time, that's not enough. I mean, especially now that we have good ones. Why do they call it the Phantom Menace? Is that Darth Maul? It is, right? Yeah, I think the idea is that Darth Maul and Darth Sidious are like a mysterious threat that is looming. I think. I, I don't have a problem with the title, I guess. I was never really clear on why it's called Phantom Menace. I mean, Attack of the Clones is... Uh, title makes less sense because when are the clones attacking like they're the good guys yeah they're they attack in the third yeah. movie Ugh. we'll get to attack of the clones in a different podcast because boy, boy do i have a lot to say about that one too uh yeah. so we're off to a rocky start here in our star wars rewatch uh look out for our future articles and our future podcasts about each of these topics and of course watch our main show and listen to our main show on youtube spotify iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts anywhere. For Jake Hensler, I'm Andrew Jay. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon.